nanometer processes to networking protocols to Raspberry Pis. There is a ton of geekery in this field that I just don't have the brain for. Fortunately, there are people like my guest out there who are ready, willing, and able to help me understand complex topics or even just the nitty-gritty stuff that I can't wrap my brain around. And my guest is one of the best at that. And I could tell you how he breaks it all down, but I think it's best that we please let Gary explain. Gary Sims, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. Very great to be here. Thank you. It's fun to be here. And, um, you know, I wanted to start things off. Uh, the, the reason we started chit-chatting back and forth was because you and I both did a, a review, uh, a, a review of sorts, um, of the Jackery... Um, 1,000. Big butt battery is what we're going to... Yeah, the Jackery 1000. And I did just a straight-up review for it in, in Digital Trends, and you had a more interesting take on it. I wonder if you could uh, tell us a little bit about um, how you took the Jackery and, made, and gave it a Gary Sims twist. Well, I mean, I was imagining that uh, lots of people had reviewed this or were reviewing it, so I thought that if I just kind of do a standard review, that's kind of just repeating everybody else so I thought to myself well solar power what's that interesting I thought oh cryptocurrency I know why don't we see whether we can do some cryptocurrency mining on solar power so I set it all up and charged it all up and then set up a little rig and uh, made absolutely no cryptocurrency money whatsoever (laughs) but you did make an interesting video out of it I hope so I hope so yeah (laughs) that yeah that was that was it was just it was a fun twist And, and I mean so uh, the next question I need to ask you before I forget is, how's your inbox been since then of uh, other people with battery generators trying to uh, get you to do stuff on their stuff? Well, in this particular case, nothing, actually. I haven't had any other emails. Um, okay. I seem to get a lot of requests to do portable HDMI monitors. That seems to be the thing at the moment. I get about a request really? once a week for those, yeah. so No uh, kidding. <laughs> who knows? Can you... Can you... <laughs> Can you mine cryptocurrency on HDMI? No, no you can't. No, okay. no. I'm no. working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, well, I don't know about, I, like, my inbox, like, LinkedIn, DMs on Twitter, emails. I've gotten probably, since I did that review th- two, three weeks ago, I've gotten pitched on six different portable wow. batteries or generators. Wow. <laughs> so, to the point where I, I, I email, I, I messaged my editor at digital trend saying help i'm being drowned i'm drowning in uh, review requests for because i mean what what i'm imagining is is that like maybe not a lot of people do reviews on this stuff because like and you know i haven't done any independent research on this i haven't you know gone out to see but it seems like like i've done reviews of products and had other people contact me then about competing products that's nothing new like I'll do a review on, um, I'll do a roundup on you know mini projectors uh, for LifeWire, and like all of a sudden I get an email from uh, somebody saying, "Hey, we've got a mini projector. Would you like to take a look at it?" And like, that's that's not unusual, but I mean like I, literally five or six or seven. I made a tag for it in Gmail because I've gotten so many requests for um, reviewing these these portable batteries slash mini generators so as I, I, i'm just wondering if there's like not a lot of traction out there for stuff like this you know even though they are immensely immensely um useful i suppose it's uh two two things F- from your from you getting requests of course one thing is that 
the crossover between camping and smartphones is a kind of a very thin oh yeah <laughs> a very thin oh, yeah. thing so the fact that someone in a tech site or with a tech background is reviewing something that would really be for the outdoor hunter camper rv mm-hmm. people makes it a new segment for them i think that's part of it because they don't get much review i'm sure if you were looking up angling daily or something or campers weekly then maybe they've got reviews of all this stuff so that's the first. and and why you're getting them and i'm not is because i live in europe and even when i told jackery i live in europe they went oh you live in Europe, do you? Oh, ah. oh that's, that's a bit tricky. What are we going to do about And so it took a while even to get the thing here because, you know, it's not small, as you said, and it doesn't kind of fit in the postman's pocket as he's delivering my electricity bill. So, um, yeah, right. so you, I think you've got an advantage over me there. I need, I need to ask a question, though. I mean, and, and, and I mean this with all the respect in the world, but... They didn't know you were from Europe. No, exactly. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I just did a video and someone, uh, like two, three days ago, and someone wrote me a message on Twitter. We talked about the video a bit. And at the very end, they said, OK, thanks very much. Happy 4th of July. And I said, um, <laughs> dude, not... the British don't celebrate 4th of July. We were the losers. You know, we right. didn't win. You know, so we don't have a 4th of July day. Loser day. Da, 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 you know, so, That's awesome. You know, <laughs> it's like, did you not? Re- and he went, "Oh yeah, I forgot about the accent." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched any of my videos? I mean, seriously, this is not hard. Um, it reminds me, actually, we I just I just remembered this particular scene from uh, uh, from a movie, Keeping the Faith. Um, good movie with Ben Stiller and um, and uh, Edward Norton and. Um, Jenna Elfman. That's that's it. That's it. Uh, anyway, so there. Uh, uh, ben Stiller is describing a date of his that he went out, and you know he said, "I and and when we got dessert, I ordered a pecan pie." And uh, you know she said, "Oh, that's great. Can I have can I have a bite of that?" And I said, "Sure." So she took a bite, and instantly her face swelled up, uh, swelled up like a balloon, and she said, "Oh my God, are there nuts in this?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So happy, happy Fourth of July! Yeah, by the way, thank you very Gary. much. Thank you. Yes, we, so. we 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 hold it dear to our hearts, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, and it's and it, it also reminds me of I was watching an interview with um with uh oh god the Hamilton guy um I'm totally blanking on his name um Lin Manuel Miranda. Jeez, it's early. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, Europe, yeah. Europe and U.S. time zones here. It's quite. It's the yeah. evening for me now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I was watching an interview with Lin Manuel Miranda about watching Hamilton in England. Like you know, he was watching. He he, he went to a, a staging of 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 Hamilton like with the prince and princess or something like that. And it's like, you know, we're doing a play about his great, 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 great grandpa. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, obviously the play does not give a good reflection on, um, on, uh, the uh, British royalty. So he's like, how's this going to go over? So anyway, so we could, we could talk about that all day, but you know, one thing that I learned from, um, and I, I want to touch on our, on our CES trip at some point, but you know, one thing that I learned from our CES trip is, that you don't even live in England. No, no, so, I don't. No. <laughs> because like, I think we were trying to arrange something for like the Android Authority podcast, and I'm like, so you're like five hours ahead of me, right? And you're like, no, you're like seven. I'm like, no, no, England is five hours. And you're like, I don't live in England. So where do you live? I thought that was interesting. That was fun. Fun fact about Gary. Well, actually, I live in, in Romania, 
uh, okay. because my family, my uh, my wife and so on, are Romanian. So uh, I live here. That's fun. That is very fun. And, you know, it's funny. When you were doing that Jackery review and, uh, you know, you were you're videoing around your backyard, I'm like, that looks like any suburb anywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it, you know, you had the the lawn and the six foot fence and the uh, you know keeping the neighbors out. <laughs> it was uh, I'm just like that that could honestly be next door to my house and I would not be able to tell the no, difference. Exactly. I mean, so. it's a, it's Romania, although it has a very checkered history. Today, it's a modern European country, and you know, as you saw from the videos, it's very beautiful and, and really nice. Yeah, awesome. Do you get back to uh, England every now and then, or? Well, normally we would try to go, you know, at least once or twice a year. But with the pandemic, I haven't been back to England now for what is it, year and a half, two years? It's getting on to now, isn't it? Yeah. Did uh, did Brexit complicate anything with uh, going home to visit? Or? Not for visiting, but I mean, the, again, the same thing. If you say to somebody, I, I, I'm in uh, mainland Europe, and they say, good, we'll send you something from Amazon.co.uk. And I say, no, you won't, because you can't That's ship it from Amazon. Work. It's not going to work. You know? And they're like, what do you mean it's not going to work? It's like, come on, wake up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You mean we can't just send it across state lines like we can here? Oh, man. Ta-da! Exactly, exactly. That... Oh, that, that's, you know, it's it's fun. Like, uh, you know, and that's why, uh, you know, it, it, th- I want to go ahead and just hearken back to our CES trip. So you and I met in person. It was CES 2019, was it? Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, sounds yeah, about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and one of the things that I remember most about the trip is our, our, our morning trip out to Hoover Dam. Yeah, which yeah. was which was an amazing time. And pro tip, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but pro tip: if anybody's in Vegas and they want to go visit the Hoover Dam, go at sunrise, because um, because as it her- turns out, um, Gary had never been. You'd never been like in any desert, right? No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not very common in Romania no, or in no. or in England. <laughs> um, and so Gary said he wanted to see uh, it was a sunrise over the desert, right? That was basically your your goal for while you were there. And I wanted to go see Hoover Dam because I had never been. And so um, Johnny Feist, bless his soul, <laughs> combined both tasks and said, "Well, let's go watch sunrise over Hoover Dam." Right. And man, just some of the some of the scenic shots that we got like i know i i know I, I i usually pause in my google photos feed whenever i get to that particular stretch because it's just like oh that's so great that's so great and i'm, I'm sure you got some really amazing shots yourself while you were there yeah there's a good good set of photos and i always like showing people the one of the state lines where it's because there's also a time zone shift so you mm-hmm. look at the one tower it's got the clock on it and then you look at the other tower it's got the hour, it's the hour different and things like that so only in america can that kind of thing happen <laughs> right that that was that was actually a fun fact and i didn't even realize that when we went to hoover dam was uh that it was in, in fact straddling a time zone so <laughs> yeah, yeah on, on one side i think by the time we got there it was like 6:30 but it was 7:30 on the other side of the dam so that was uh that was pretty cool and then you know i very much appreciated you and johnny uh um putting up with my crap and wanting to drive like three more miles into arizona to go get a geocache while we were there 
um, just so I could get that state off my uh, <laughs> off my map. So I appreciate you guys dealing with that. That was fun. So um, have you been to any trade shows since CES? Not a lot has happened since no, then. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been kind of everything's been shut down. So um, yeah, looking forward to when it's going to start up again. Don't know when that's going to be. I've gave up making predictions outside of tech. I don't make predictions inside of medicine. That's not my <laughs> that's not my field. But I mean it'd be nice if twenty twenty two things start up again. That would be really nice. But we'll have to yeah. have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. So you weren't one of the sixteen people that was at MWC this year? Uh no, no. I, I thought about it for about half a nanosecond and then decided not to go. <laughs> And I think that's pretty much what Google and Samsung and everybody else did, too. Uh, that was but, a very brave uh, thing for them to try to put it on. But, I mean, um, it's yeah. not going to work. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, I one of your most recent videos, and this is actually kind of a hot topic these days, is Windows 11. And um, you had some interesting experiences trying to get Windows 11 going on one of your computers. I was, I wonder, I wonder, was wondering, not one of your computers, seven? seven was it seven? Seven, yeah. Seven different computers. Uh, t tell us a little bit about that, because that was a fun story that I was, uh, that I was checking out. Okay, so when Microsoft uh, announced Windows 11, they also... Uh, did a few things. They released the minimum system requirements, so you know how much memory mm -hmm. you need, how much storage you need, and so on. They also started shipping out the insider previews, which you can sign up to Microsoft and get the very, very latest ones. And they also published yeah. a checker tool, which you can run on your machine, and it says, oh, you don't have enough memory, or you don't have enough disk space. Now, the problem was, is that uh, Microsoft included three very tricky uh, minimum requirements. One is you have to have TPM, which is the Trusted Platform Module. The other mm -hmm. is you have to be able to, to have secure boot. So a lot of machines from a, a few years ago either don't come with a TPM module or just they, it was too before it was there, and neither do they have mm -hmm. secure boot. And if they do have them, they're not turned on. So, for example, literally before I came on this podcast, I got an email from someone offering for me to review something, and my first question was, does it support... TPM and Secure Boot, and they said yes, but they're both off by default. So a lot of people have these things in their machines, in their PCs, but when the yeah. checker tool runs, it says no, you don't have TPM, you don't have Secure Boot, you can't, you can't run Windows 11. So a lot of people are falling over that hurdle. But what I did was I said, well, okay, I'm Gary Explains. I'll go into the computer and I'll see. Right, <laughs> my one actually supports TPM. Good, enable, yes, okay. Right, yeah. secure boot, okay, enable, yes. Oh dear, my machine can't boot. Why is that? Because I'm using the wrong type of partition table. So I've got to convert the hard disk to a partition table that's supported by a secure boot. I did all that. So I thought, right, I've got everything I need. I then ran the checker tool and it said, no, your processor is too old. Your CPU, he's talking, I have a Ryzen 5 1600. So I don't consider that particularly old. Okay, it's not the latest thing, but it's not particularly old. And right. what Microsoft have said is that if you have anything that is um, pre-Zen 2, so that would be the 1600, the Ryzen 5 1600, anything in the 1 series, 1000 series, and some mm. of the processors in the 2000 series will not run Windows uh, 11. And then if you've got an Intel processor, if it's an i5, let's say, 7700K or whatever those are, that won't run it yeah. either. It has to be an eighth generation or newer. So if that's the case, then there's literally a lot of people that don't have mm. a Zen 2 or an, an, 
And then I look at the other machines I had here, the other seven. I've got uh, an, <laughs> an AMD A, A series, A6 series. I've got... Um, what else have I got? I've got some some atoms and some Celerons and some other things, and none of them will mm-hmm. work. Not one of them will upgrade to Windows 11. So I felt that um, Microsoft were being a bit mean to me, really. Yeah, seriously. So, all right. So I'm running an MSI laptop here. Let's walk through this because I'm, I'm I'm curious now. Um, so so I've got I've got my MS Info 32 up. So uh, what's the first thing that I should look for uh, in here? The the what the, the first. T- the first thing, well, TPM is one to look for. Yeah, if you actually start the security processor app, if you're running Windows, go down, press the little start button, and just type security space processor. That will actually security. that will run an app for you. Processor. No, processor, because we're talking Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Processor. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so I got security processor details. Yep. Information about the trusted platform module, TPM. Yep. Uh, I've got a TPM specification sub... Oh, no, specification version 2.0. Great. You're, you're so. set. That's good. Yep, yep. Banging. All right. And so that, cool. also means, that also means that Windows recognizes it because it means it, so it means it was enabled inside your BIOS. So that was... Not so off was by good. default. Yeah. Always a good sign. Exactly. Now, the real question is, what processor do you have? That is the real question. Uh, I, I know this. I, uh, where, okay, where is that? System summary is a Core i7-10750, oh. so that's 10th generation. Yeah, you're sorted then. Yep, you're, I mean, you're... I, I, I just bought this laptop like uh, about six, eight months ago. So, right, yeah. yeah, I was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, How much memory do I need? Oh, that, that, the memory and the disk space is not a problem. Four, four gigs and 64 gigs of storage, so it's not... Oh. They, those really aren't the issue nowadays. They used <laughs> to be the issue. <laughs> I got that. Okay. Four gigs of memory. Um, Who needs four gigs of memory? Yeah. All right. And then what was the other thing you were <laughs> There's saying? There's a secure um, boot. Secure boot. Yeah. Where would I look for that? I, I don't know. I can't remember now. You've you've put me on the spot. I can't remember where you look for um, to whether that's enabled or not. Uh oh. Okay. I think uh, you have to go into computer management and into the disk manager and then see whether uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's okay. I mean, we 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 went over to oh. Secure boot is on, preventing malicious software from downloading when your device starts up. There you go. I got a Windows 11, baby. Yay! Yeah! Well done, well done for you, yeah. And, and, and then actually, for any listeners who might be listening, I went. I just went to uh, the search, and I typed in secure boot. It's in device security, which is... Let me see if I can uh, kind of... Oh, wait, no, I can't walk that back. So It's in settings, yeah. and... And it's under, yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's in device security. If you go there, I guess it's on, yeah, just headings and then device yeah, security yeah, and, yeah, and bickety-bam. Yeah. So, and I did the same thing for the for the TP, what was it, TPM? Yeah, I, secure, I can't even remember this stuff. <laughs> so, um, module, anyway. yeah. so yeah, so I got Windows 11. That's awesome. Well done. That's, well, that's done. Amazing. well, yeah. So, but you see, right, the, the cool. problem is some people who may have bought a very expensive laptop, let's say three years ago, and they really kind of like, I'm going to buy a laptop that's going to last me a long time, and they spent four or five thousand dollars on it, you know, and now yeah. they find out they can't run Windows 11, they're kind of like, mm, hello, there's not quite yeah, right. Yeah, that's not, that's not cool. And it's like, um, um, it's like, uh, what would you, I mean, like, 
Yeah, because eighth generation, we're on eleventh generation now, so that's only three years ago. Yeah, so that's yeah, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's assuming when you bought the laptop in two thousand eighteen, it was the latest and um, greatest. Yeah. It had the latest and greatest, yeah. which yeah. is not always no, the case, obviously. Not, not. And you so, see, because of the pandemic, you know, people haven't necessarily gone out and bought a new laptop, or if they have bought laptops because they're doing online stuff like we're doing now, homeschooling, maybe they've bought cheaper ones because. They want it for someone to do, you know, schoolwork or something. They haven't spent four thousand yeah. dollars. They've spent, you know, five nine nine, and now they find out that that one can't run Windows eleven either. So, you know, combining right. the pandemic and the chip shortage, and now Microsoft saying these things is kind of a nice combination. And I think kind of Microsoft need to, you know, kind of wake up and realize what's going on here. Right, and yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, I guess you know, on the one hand, whatever, whatever line, as you described it, a line in the sand, whatever line in the ah, there goes my backup. Whatever line in the sand, um, Microsoft wants to draw. I guess it's their operating system, and they want to make sure it runs great. But you actually interspersed clips inside there, <laughs> saying like, you know, um, you know, why is Microsoft drawing this line in the sand? And then it's like you see uh, Satya Nadella being like, Windows should adapt to you not the other way around yes. so I, I it, it, it's it's wonderful it was a, it was a beautifully done video and uh but uh, but you know i'm happy that you walked me through it and now i now i know i can have windows 11 but can you run windows 11 on a raspberry pi one of our viewers is asking yes you can yes yes so just like you could run uh, windows 10 on a raspberry pi someone has taken the preview build that's available at the moment and they've stuck it on a on a Raspberry Pi, it's completely unsupported, of course. I mean, that's the, the standard thing. Well, right. Uh, like, how would you even begin to do that? <laughs> well, it, it's two, two things. First of all, that the current builds don't require any of these things that Microsoft's saying. So you can actually install it on a machine that doesn't have TPM oh. because they haven't switched it all on yet. They've said, this that is helps. what we're going to do. And we've got between now and October, and we're going to be releasing these builds with more and more things. Like when Android, when Google released new versions of Android, you know, in the developer previews, there's lots sure. of stuff that changes between the first four, five, six releases that they make until you get to oh, the yeah. final beta. I mean, it's a lot of changes. And, and it will be the same with Microsoft. So there's no TPM module, no secure boot in a Raspberry Pi, so that's fine. And the other thing is Raspberry Pi, they've done a lot of work, some really good guys on the internet have done a lot of work to make sure that there is the, uh, the uh, UEFI... Uh, but firmware available for the Raspberry Pi, so you can boot up uh, any standard image now. It doesn't have to be a Raspberry Pi image uh, as long as it's ARM, and that's how they got it. That's how they got it running. So yeah, kudos to the hackers on the internet. They can do almost anything. You give people enough time, and they'll they'll do almost anything. So there you go. <laughs> oh yeah, and I saw um, it was. Uh... Um, uh, somebody was running Windows 11 on a Lumia Nokia, yeah, 950, yeah. something <laughs> yeah, like that. Right, it, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was, it was, you know, and, and honestly, that's why I really appreciate, you know, people like you, Gary, because like, that's the kind of nerdy stuff. Like, so I'm, I'm nerdy. I, you know, I'll admit I've got, you know, I know. I, I, I like to, you know, play with phones and dig into phones and, you know, I never use the same phone for more than two weeks and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I love that stuff. But, like, you, people people like you and, like, the people that are installing Windows 11 on Raspberry Pis are just so much, like, beyond, <laughs> beyond where where I could, you know, where, where I could wrap my mind around. And that's that's fine because, like, there's different levels of geekery out there and... And I appreciate the fact that you take 
you know, your level of geekery and my level of geekery and kind of bridge the gap by, by like explaining how, you know, how to, you know, how to check to see if your windows, if your windows can run, what, what was that? I don't even know what I was going to switch that around. (laughs) If your computer can run one, can your windows run computer? I don't know. Um, But yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so like how there must've been a time because I know you were doing Gary explains videos for Android authority. Um, but there must have been some kind of like moment when you realize like maybe Gary explains is a thing. Like maybe maybe this is something that we can do separately because you know you spun off your own YouTube channel off of the Android Authority YouTube channel. So like what was that? What was that that catalytic moment when you realized oh this is a thing? Let's 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 do this. Well, what happened was I remember I can't remember the exact video, but I was doing a video and it was. It was a, wasn't a phone review. It wasn't a look at you know the an app or something like that. It was an, an explainer, and I thought, what happens if I just put Gary explained in the title, which is which what I did. And then I made this video. Uh, it yeah. was Android related, something to do with Linux kernel or, or memory usage or something. I can't remember exactly now. And it it was okay. It got it got received and and it got a lot of views and it and it was great. And then I did a couple more. But then I got to a point where I thought, hold on, if I want to talk about something that's not quite Android, now if I want to do something about Windows or Mac or Linux or a Raspberry Pi, that doesn't quite fit into the Android Authority you know theme because it's the brand, Android yeah. and brand and smartphones and all that kind of stuff. So. We had a chat and we said, well, why don't we try a separate channel, which is an explainer channel, which I can cover everything. So here we are covering Windows 11, which isn't something mm-hmm. you could have done. I could have done over on the um, on the Android Authority channel because people would say, I thought I was watching Android Authority, not Windows Central, you know, or something like that. So, you know, that's, people are that's very a- pigeonholed on YouTube. I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's but- what happened. Yeah. So that was two years ago now, I think. Wow. Yeah. Has it been that long? Yeah. So, so where are you at these days in terms of like metrics? What are, are two hundred twenty-two thousand subscribers? Yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. like almost a quarter a of million, way to yeah. a million. Yeah, yeah. I was That's just nice. thinking that quarter of a million is a nice number, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is a very nice. It is a very nice number. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? I know I'm subscribed, but you know, benefit of the doubt is not subscribed. But oh, look, we just subscribed. <laughs> so, so now you have twenty two thousand two two hundred twenty two thousand and one. one subscribe. Thank you. That's very much. right. Thank you. Thank you. It That's happened right. here live, everybody. You saw it happen. You saw it. You saw it. So, um, yeah, and, and, and it's great because, and, you know, the the intersection between, like, you know, you said, you know, Windows 11 isn't necessarily good for, like, an Android Authority channel, but Windows 11 is going to run Android apps. So, I mean, there is, and it, it's kind of weird, it, it, not weird per se, like, I guess you, I guess anybody paying attention could have seen this coming, but, like, there's such an intersection in between, like, um, you know, like Windows and Android and even Mac OS to an extent. And, but it seems like, um, just to get a little critical of, uh, of Apple here, it seems like while com- devi- different devices are trying to come closer together, you know, Windows running Android apps and yet, and yet it seems like Apple's kind of going the other direction and like really trying to s- like circle its wagons and like keep all the, keep all the rest of everybody out because like there's such tight integration in between Apple devices, you know, whether it's phones and tablets and laptops and, and everything. And it's like, you know, and as Windows and and Android, you know, kind of get closer together, and almost to the point where they're like merging, because you can, 
on you know with some Android phones, you can mirror your phone on your computer screen, and you can run Android apps and yada yada yada. Uh, so, which <clears throat> as 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 a I'm I'm assuming you're a proponent of like open platforms and you know making things all work together like in a geeky in a geeky sort of way. So, like, which way do you kind of lean on that? I mean, do you see? I kind of see where Apple's coming from because you know you wanna you wanna get people into the ecosystem you want to make money but you also want to be able to control the experience but on the other hand now you've got windows 11 running on a raspberry pi microsoft doesn't want windows 11 running on raspberry pi because it's probably going to be a terrible experience so like where do you kind of where do you fit in in that ethos of um well look at it this way i mean we live in an interconnected world is what you're what you're saying so right now with smartphones and the internet 4g 5g everything we do is interconnected so i can use my phone i can do banking on it i can go to the supermarket i can just touch my phone on the the point of sale unit and my bank account suddenly says ching ching that money has been taken so here we have a normal day experience going shopping for bread and milk and eggs and what's happening is that the whole system is interconnected to, to the point that I can pay for my shopping and then go home using my my smartphone. So there's a, a classic everyday example of an interconnected system. Now, everything we do in life is interconnected. Smartphones and tablets, and then we've got on that, we consume our media, we've got our communications, messaging and gmailing, uh, emailing, that kind of thing. We've got, we've got music, we've got games, we've got all these things all connected. Now, what Apple are actually saying is, although they've got very good at the marketing, what they're actually saying is, you can interconnect everything. I'm sure you can interconnect a Mac with an iPhone, with a HomeKit, whatever piece of magic smart home stuff you've got, and it all works perfectly, as long as everything you buy is Apple. Simple as that. Right. As long as everything right. you buy is Apple, it will all, all fit together. But on the other, outside that wall is, well, the rest of the world is trying to get things to connect together without it all being from one company. So Apple's power is that if you buy a home kit, if you buy a speaker, if you buy a laptop, if you buy it, it all comes from them. And of course, that's why it's the richest tech company in the world. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a genius to work out why, why that is, because you have to buy all their kit. And once they get you into their ecosystem, you bought a phone, Oh, then I bought an iPad, then I bought the speaker, then I bought the earbuds, then I bought right. the HomeKit thing, and now I'm going to buy a Mac. And it's like, oh, I've just given all my money to Apple, and Apple are going, ching, 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 thanks very much, thanks very much. <laughs> you know. Whereas like in Android, for example, uh, there's a big thing You know, for the last few years that manufacturers have been dropping the headphone socket, for example. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate that. Completely. I just can't understand the mentality of taking the most simple worldwide standard for connecting audio, the headphone jack, and say, no, we're not going to support that anymore. As if, like, you know, why? (laughs) You know, why? Right. Okay, so now with Android, if I want to buy a phone, I choose one with a headphone jack in it. But I've got the choice. I can look around and see which companies are selling devices that meet my specifications. But if I was in Apple world, I take what Apple gives me or I don't. And I've got no choice. Like it or lump it, my way or the highway. But with Android, I can say, well, actually, that company is providing headphone sockets. That company is providing NFC. That company is providing Bluetooth 5. That company is providing the triple camera. This company is providing... And I go and pick what I want. And I say, that's the phone I'm going to buy. Thank you very much. And then it runs Android. It runs Google services. I've got my Gmail. I've got my messaging. I've got everything in it. I can... yeah. It's like, thanks very much. That's, that's the difference. So speaking of which, what phone are you using these days? 
Oh, does it, and does it have a headphone jack? It's a secret. It is a <laughs> Xiaomi Mi 9, and yes, it has a headphone jack. That's right, yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. Very yep. cool. Very cool. So um, a couple of our uh, a couple of our viewers are steering us back towards Windows 11, which is fine with me. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to highlight a couple of questions that we have going on here. First of all, uh, looking two to three years down the line, could we potentially see Windows 11 on a future Surface Duo, especially with a mature open Windows Store? Now that I've read that, I'm going to turn that comment off so that we can actually see our faces. So... <laughs> So, um, so what do you think? Are we going to see Windows 11 on a future Surface Duo? I would have to imagine so. I mean, obviously, the the whole foldable thing and exploring new formats for this intersection between tablets, laptops, and smartphones, we're going to see mm -hmm. lots of experiments. Some of them are going to fail. Some of them are going to work. And when they find out the right combination of price and functionality... Personally, I, I've got a bit of a problem with foldables at the moment in that I... I get my phone out and now I have to an extra action to open it. Mm -hmm. why, why would I want to do that? That's the thing that I, uh, confuses me at the moment. Why, why I get, oh, what time is it? You know, <laughs> or I've just got a ping, just got a message. It's like, well, no, that's that. <laughs> Some would argue that having a foldable device makes you think more deliberatively about when you want to use your phone because of that extra step. Nonsense. So, and, and, and H other human nature is that human nature is you'll go and open it anyway. Well, and then and but but and, and then like the window the the fold two which I reviewed, um, you know, uh, camera reviews on the YouTube channel, so go check that out. Um, but uh, that had the you know the exterior display that yeah. you could you yeah. wouldn't have to open your phone. Yeah. Have yeah. you had a lot of experience with foldables? I'm not sure like how in the um, like the Android Authority. Um, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, if you're hanging around with, the, like, the reviewers at Android Authority or if they're sending you toys to play with or anything like that. So I haven't used a foldable um, daily myself, but I, okay. rem I remember the era when all phones were foldable. You probably remember well, that sure. era as well. Right? Sure. Okay. So feature phones back in the day were, were foldable. Mm -hmm. And the point is, is that I remember the irritation of having to flip a lid or flip something over so that I could get... Oh, you can try and find one now in your, in your box of... Um... <laughs> oh, no, I already have one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's the uh, ThinkPad Fold, which uh, um, I did a review on on the podcast. So check that out. Link but I mean, notes, a, a but, ThinkPad yeah. is different because that's not the device you carry around in your pocket, you see. So no, when, it is when not. you get that out, you're deliberately setting it up. And it's the same with a MacBook. You have to open a MacBook, okay, mm -hmm. to, to, or any laptop to actually use it. And that's not a problem. The problem is when they try to do it in the phone format form factor. Mm, okay. I'm not going to take it out of my pocket and go, oh, open it up again. And the, so they know that. So they try to put the second display on it, which means I then got to look at this little display, e-ink display or a smaller display or whatever. And, and as you can see, it's not yet been a, a, a success. But if Microsoft makes some hardware that can handle that kind of factor well, then, yeah, I'm sure we can see Windows 11 and all kinds of things for sure. Nice. All right. Well, and we got another question here. Would it be difficult for Microsoft to launch Windows 11 in a compatibility mode with inferior security, or is it simply a marketing image that they want to make? We are Microsoft. We are secure like Apple. So I think what the, I think what they're if 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 you don't mind 
Vazico. Sorry, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce that name. But anyway, if you don't mind, I, th- I think what they're asking is, could they release a potentially like kind of a uh, kind of like a, a, a starter version of Windows 11 that could run on hardware that doesn't necessarily have the TPM 2.0 or the secure boot? Would oh, that I, would that ever I, happen? Absolutely, they could. Of course, they could. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Think about well, it. Well, sure, they could. But yeah. would they, I think, is the question. Uh, well, this is this is the question. Because if you think about it, Windows 10 is supported until 2025, okay? So here's right. their problem now from a branding point of view. They say, move to Windows 11 because it's super secure. And if you don't, you can stay with Windows 10 until 2025. So then you say, so Windows 10 isn't super secure then. <laughs> well, it will be until 2025. Well, no, but it, but it won't because they're saying that Windows 11's got extra stuff in it with the TPM, the secure oh, boot, that you can't get in Windows 10. So what they're saying is, is that actually we're letting you hang out there in the dry uh, until 2025, and then you have to move over to Windows 11 because it's super secure. So of course right. they can make a version of Windows 11 that hasn't got all that stuff in it because it's called Windows 10. Okay, it already works like that, and it's supported until 2025, and they can just change the graphic interface and put the windows and the taskbar wherever they want and say, hey, look, it's Windows 11. But, of course, the problem they've got is the whole industry is trying to sort out the security problem. And, of course, when you talk about Windows... What's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, viruses. That's the whole the whole yeah, thing. Malware. Yeah. Malware. And I mean, if you look at all the ransomware problems that have been going on in the world at the moment, I'm pretty much guaranteed they've all come via a Windows laptop or a Windows computer somewhere along the way. Yeah. So that's what's happened. So Microsoft, have, are whether they're doing it from a branding point of view, whether they're doing it because they just want to actually do the right thing, so they're just actually really decent chaps that want to do the right thing, I don't mm-hmm. know. But the reality is, of course, is that the latest hardware does have things built into it that can make that better. TPM, Secure Boot, and, and all this other stuff. So that's absolutely true. But then, of course, yeah. the reason why Microsoft is taking the heat, I've been thinking about this, is because they don't want to say, blame Intel. They don't want to say, blame AMD. Because when you say you've got to have an 8th generation CPU, you say, okay, well, why didn't the 7th generation have it? And they go, oh, go and ask Intel. They don't want to do that because they'll get in real trouble with Intel for pushing the blame uh, onto them. So there's this kind of politics as well going on here about, well, we'll take the heat because we don't want to... But actually, it's Intel's fault, really, that we've got we're in this mess. Because all the stuff that they're trying to fix should have been fixed years ago. But... Don't sure. go. I mean, if you ask an expert who knows about Intel security records, especially with their management engine and all that kind of stuff, there are so many problems that Intel have had. But they do quite a good job of actually keeping the keeping a, a lid on it from a PR point of view. But it's it's a, <laughs> and I, some would argue that's just as important. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. What's your priority here? That's the question. Right. Um, so let's uh, let, let's transition over to. I don't know. I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of like ran out of questions at this point. So we've been we've been kind of blasting through all this, and it's really uh, it's it's really been it's really been a ton of fun. So you know, I want to talk about Raspberry Pis. Yeah. Because I know I, the Raspberry Pi is like one of those devices. It's 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 always been, and this is kind of weird to say, but it's always been kind of like an aspirational device. Because like if I ever wanted a Raspberry Pi, that would mean I actually had a use for it. And 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 I don't have the kind of brain that can come up with a good use for a Raspberry Pi. And then um, just uh, it was about a year ago, I think, um, Raspberry Pi came out with the Raspberry Pi 
400 was it that was built into the keyboard it was kind of like a mini pc built into the keyboard have you had a chance to play with the raspberry pi 400 yes i do i have a raspberry pi 400 and i have a review on the gary explains video channel not here on this podcast but over at my channel right <laughs> link in so, the show notes <laughs> link in the show notes thank you very much so yes i have a, a 400 it's just just over there but you you can't see that uh, and so now the thing you've got to remember is that the people that uh, developed Raspberry Pi grew up at the same time as I did. We were, we were a similar age. And all the mm-hmm. computers, when we were children, looked like the Raspberry Pi 400. So if okay. you if you, what, if you look into retro computing, the Commodore 64, the BBC Micro, the ZX Spectrum, the VIC-20, all these computers, they all were basically a keyboard with the computer built in underneath the keyboard. That's exactly what they that were. That you plugged into a TV. Wow, and then you actually, now that you mentioned that, that's a, that's a very good point. I hadn't considered that. But, so uh, basically, anyway. the guys said, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll recreate our childhood, and we'll create this Raspberry Pi 400 that looks exactly like the Commodore 64 did, but with modern plastic and modern keyboards, and, uh, and that's what it is. So that what they're trying to do is to see if they can re-fire up the home computer revolution of the 1980s and the early 1990s by providing this piece of kit that you don't need very much to get yourself up and running. And yeah. it does seem to be working. I mean, uh, Ebden Upton, that's the guy that runs it, said that there is a correlation between the number of people going into university to study computer science and computer science-related subjects and the availability of educational projects that you can do as a child and so the home after the home computer revolution all the way through the 90s and it right up to the year 2000 there were lots of people going into uh, computing at higher education because they had a background at home and then suddenly we got the playstation and the xbox and everyone went (laughs) oh i'm winning you know and suddenly they had no idea who hurt you gary I got a comment once someone was saying, don't mock people who play games. I was like, well, you know, I've got more important things to do in my life, you know. You know, so uh, and what the, the point is, of course, they didn't have uh, that tech background. So then the number of people going into university dropped off significantly. And now mm. because of the Raspberry Pi, because of microcontrollers, because of these kind of things, we're actually seeing an uptake again. And of course, that's what we want to see. That's the, that's the positive side of it. Right. Well, and there's been a lot of emphasis in like STEM and Steam and Stream and all the different uh, EMS. Uh, but there's been a lot of emphasis that like I, even my daughter's gra- grammar school had like a STEM club. So, um, you know, I guess get them while they get them while they're young. Oh, but absolutely. yeah, one of the one of the things about the the Raspberry Five Pi Four Hundred, I never had a chance to test it out, but it seemed like it was making like the raspberry ecosystem a lot more accessible to people so like um so i i kind of actually now i'm kind of thinking out loud i'm wondering if the raspberry pi 400 was trying to make things more accessible to people like me who you know don't necessarily know or want to go through the uh, go through the trouble of setting up like a raspberry pi with a monitor and a mouse and a keyboard put it all into the same put it all into the same package for for idiots like me or if it's if it's more of a a nostalgia throwback to the commodore 64 i'm kind of have you had have you had an you you mentioned you've spoken with the uh, ceo of of raspberry um once or twice has, has there been any uh, insight into that is it just uh, strictly a nostalgia play or is it uh, an no, accessibility uh, thing no or? i mean you've got to be honest when you see a raspberry pi it's a circuit board okay so when right. you see it you go what's that 
you know. Right. It, it's, it's not in That's a exactly what I do. Actually, exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. So, so when you're already into a bit of computing, a bit of electronics, you go, oh, look, look at that. I can, I can connect that to the Dubri and I can do the thingy with it. But when you're someone who's not into it, you say... That's just a piece of electronics. What I mean, you might as well open up your your high file, your you know your DVD player, and look at the circuit boards. Just as much sense to me there than there is over there. So the sure. the one thing about the four hundred is it does make it accessible. You say, oh, I know what that is. It's a computer. I understand a computer. And then because you can then still do the other stuff like make light bulbs flash on and off and things with the same piece of equipment, it becomes a bridge into then going going further. They always say the first bite is the is the most important one and if you can get people to come on board uh and remove any kind of hesitation then who knows what robot or censoring equipment you know or monitoring equipment they could be building uh, uh next because they've they've already got hold of the bit of kit so yeah absolutely i, I think uh, but the design is definitely nostalgic there's no doubt about it now they decide to do that they say well how do we do it well we'll make it look like the commodore 64 i mean that's basically the there was no other way around it really so that's that's what happened yeah yeah I'm kind of wondering if we're going to see any more generations of the Raspberry Pi 400. And I haven't been paying attention recently. And like I said, the original Raspberry Pi 400 is about a year old or so at this point, right? So I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be like a, a Gen 2 at this point. Because like when I think Raspberry Pi, I always think like these cool little projects that you could build. Actually, I always go back to... Um, <clears throat> Pardon me. I always go back to like gadget geocaches and like um, we've had um, a number of them around Chicago where you have to go and like press a sequence of buttons and that'll like unlock the box that allows you to retrieve the geocache, stuff like that. So like I kind of wonder if um, or like so when I think of a Raspberry Pi, I think of that little circuit board box that's like attached to you know some kind of controller input where i can punch in a code and like it'll do a thing so when it comes to like something like the raspberry pi 400 that's a whole different animal as far as you know as far as i'm concerned and you know i'm sure as far as you're concerned too because you have some knowledge on the matter <laughs> yeah so so there's two you've asked two questions there. so first of all the, the the 400 is just as capable as the other raspberry pis you can still connect your little combination thingies to it yeah. and do your little yeah. thing. So that's the great thing about it. You can actually use it and then still do Raspberry Pi stuff with it, which is why it, it's mm -hmm. so powerful. Of course, remember, Raspberry Pi is always software and hardware. So it also yeah. helps people learn how to write computer programs in Python or in JavaScript, or whatever it is that they're, they're choosing to learn. And then the hardware side, which is your little motors and your switches and your little combination boxes. So that's definitely the power of it because you're getting yourself the step into the door without it looking like a, a, a you know, a, a terrible circuit. In fact, we went to a, um, an escape room actually last, uh, last summer. And, um, it, inside it was all just made up of Raspberry Pis and other similar microcontrollers. So every time you did the combination <laughs> on the thing to open, cool. open the door, it was you could see inside there's a little Raspberry Pi or a little microcontroller that was doing the doing the thing. So you could actually build an entire escape room uh, using these devices if you're good at woodworking as well and painting and building, you know, all the stuff. Now the other question you were saying is what's the future going to yeah. be? Now this is an interesting question because I think that. I don't want to be unkind. I don't know whether the Raspberry Pi Foundation has lost its way. Now, what do I mean okay. by that? You've got the Raspberry Pi, which 
you recognize even people like yourself. Like, I know what a Raspberry Pi is, and, I, and I've seen it. I haven't got one, but I, I know what it is. So you've got this right. this thing, the Raspberry Pi. But then you suddenly you now got the Raspberry Pi 400. So you say, now, is that the direction they're taking? Like you say, a Gen 2. Or are they going back to doing the other Raspberry Pi? Or are they trying to do both? Now, if it was that question, you could say, okay, we'll, we'll see. But they also then released the Raspberry Pi Pico. Uh, just a little okay. while back, which is a microcontroller, so you can't run Linux on it. There's no desktop, no HDMI monitor, no mouse, no keyboard. It's a microcontroller. And so very, very low power, very, very small amount of memory, but great, again, for your little combination boxes on your, your geocache things. So now they're yeah. into microcontrollers and the single board computers and the full computers, and now they've got mm-hmm. three directions they're following. So I'm saying to myself, looking from the outside, well, which one are they going to try and follow the most? Uh, and which what their goal used to be get people into university by letting them fiddle with software and hardware at home, get them while they're young, then they take that up later on. But now they're into three different prongs of things. Are they going to abandon one? Are they going to try and do all three? I, I don't know. Now, the, the, the even more complicated thing is the Raspberry Pi Foundation is a charity. So it's not, okay. a, it's not a business. So they're doing it for the educational side of it. Now, there is a business side of it which handles all the actual production because they have to do that with an actual business. So there's a Raspberry Pi Foundation and there's a Raspberry Pi company and they kind of all run by the same people. But if you're running something as a foundation, that gives you certain freedoms because you know you can do things for without profit and you can try and get certain taxes off and you can lower the prices. Great stuff. Yeah. And that's what we've all benefited from. But it also means that you're limited because your charity, your foundation has a has a purpose. You suddenly can't be, let's feed starving children in whatever country is in need at the moment because that's not the the, the roots of the foundation so yeah it, you know how, how how much it's limited by its original goal can it stick to reading its goal these are questions that i i don't know the answers to and um and uh, we'll have to wait and see what the foundation comes up with next to maybe try and answer that they're kind of like the one plus of uh of uh of of circuit boards now because they've got like the one plus nine now the one plus nord and the one plus yeah so i i get it i get it so well it's an interesting question so what the the thing i think i want to go ahead and close on is speed test g Mm. that is a gary explains original and it's I think, I mean, like, objectively speaking, I think it's one of the best ways to test a phone's performance because uh, maybe before we get too far into the weeds, why don't you go ahead and explain, like, what Speed Test G is and how it accomplishes its goal? Okay, so normally when people are testing performance, they would turn to a benchmark. And a benchmark Mm -hmm. is basically create a program that does something and then let's give it a score. So you've got Geekbench, you've got Antutu, you've got 3D Mark, there's all these lots of popular benchmarks for Android phones and there are similar ones that exist for PCs and so on. Yeah. And the yeah. problem is people don't trust them. They say, well, that's an artificial program some guy invented in a lab and you know it doesn't reflect the real world. So then what happened is, is that some very popular YouTubers started this idea of a speed test where they started to open up apps and then would see how long it would take to open the app. The idea being this is real world, because in the real world, you don't run a benchmark every day. You run Gmail or you run, yeah. uh, you know, Subway Surf or, or whatever the latest game is that, that you, you run. And that's the real world. But the problem there is that all they're measuring is startup time. And startup time is not the same as 
running time, you know, the performance you get while you're playing the game. A game could start up in blindingly fast because the guy that wrote it or the person that wrote it had some really clever ideas about how to start up. And then once you start playing it, you've got 10 frames a second because your phone can't handle it. So Speed Test G is a combination of benchmark and speed test. And the way it works is there are these different tasks that I've written, which are benchmarks, really. How quickly can it sort some numbers? How quickly can it write to a database? How quickly can it compress an image? And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, they are started up on your phone, just like you would start a normal app. So speed test G is actually an Android launcher, just like you launch by pressing the icon the launcher itself Mm -hmm. goes through a program sequence and launches these different programs and then at the end of it you've got a time measure to say how long it took now the really satisfying thing about it is i have been doing this now for two or three years is that Mm -hmm. we haven't had any uh, unexpected results and what i mean by that there have been some very close calls where a phone has beaten another phone but what i'm saying is we haven't had oh look that's got a snapdragon 750g and yet it's beating the snapdragon 888 oh no there's something terrible actually when <laughs> that's you, not supposed to happen that's not supposed <laughs> to happen yeah what's wrong <laughs> right. with your test your test is rubbish so when you rank up all the 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 the, the phones that we've tested actually it does follow that the snapdragon 700 series is slower than the 600 you're faster than the 600 series and slower than the 800 series and there is a nice line that you can draw across all these different devices and it works really really well right. so that's what we we're doing and we're testing the phones and we're trying to to see which ones offer the best real world performance with a combination of starting them up and running a benchmark which is closer to what you would do in in the real world that's awesome. That's awesome. And I know I was, I, I, I was, um, I, I filmed a few of those speed test G, uh, did, uh videos yeah, yeah, for yeah, you. So yeah. those were fun. And it, and it was, it, and it was interesting because I remember one of the phones that I did the speed test G on was, um, it was a LG, was it the V50 or V60? I don't remember. Um, but I remember running a, a, a speed test G on the LG V50 while watching a speed test G video on the second screen of, of that particular phone. So that was a lot of fun. But I think what really makes speed test G the most fun is the call that comes from Mr. Gary Sims as he's <laughs> as he's describing the uh, you know you're you're just like a play by play man I I love it um, and you know as a big sports fan myself you know I, I really appreciate the ability to call something like that and um, um, so I think if if you haven't had the opportunity to watch a speed test G video um, you should definitely take the opportunity to go check it out because it, you know it's like it's like what Gary says it's it's a very objective and easily repeatable um, performance metric for all the phones that come across Android's authority's desk, which is basically every phone. So, out of curiosity, um, and I think I know the answer to this, but have you run into any um, issues uh, trying to test Huawei phones with the uh, with the lack of uh, Google services? Now, I would think that since we've discovered that Harmony OS is basically Android 10, um, I would think that there probably hasn't been too much of an issue there, but maybe you can uh, maybe you can correct me on that. The biggest <laughs> issue, funny enough, at the moment is that um, these Chinese phones and I. For example, I've got here on my desk a Red Magic Six. I can't remember which, which model it is, but they <laughs> they don't they don't let you change the launcher because they're trying mm. to copy Apple. 
So they have their ah. own launcher with their own user interface that looks like iOS, and you can't change away from it. And a speed test G is a launcher. So right. So I have, have to be to. able to replace. Now, it is a standard freedom for all Android phones that you can run your own launcher. That's a fundamental thing. And it yeah. really annoys me when these companies launch phones <laughs> and they block the ability to run the launcher. So the problems we've had with Huawei and with other Chinese brands like the Red Magic is you can't run it as a launcher and therefore we can't do the test. So they're lost, huh. really, because they don't, they, we can't, we just have to say, sorry, we can't change the launcher. That's it. Right. Yep. And and um and and if I remember correctly, uh, Speedtest G is a proprietary written software. So and the reason, if I remember correctly, part of the reason you did that was specifically so that companies can't um, fudge their phones in order to get better results. As you hear about, you know, you hear about a lot of companies that will, you know, open, you know, open the throttles up full throttle when when it detects that they're running like a Geekbench or something like that. So oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? One question I want to ask you. Uh, I just did a review of the Lenovo ThinkPad Nano um, that just went up on the podcast this past weekend. Um, and actually, I can't say that because that's shoot. What? What did, did I just do? The Lenovo ThinkPad? Maybe I don't know. I think it was just this past weekend. I, I have no editorial calendar. I took I took a month off and it screwed everything up. <laughs> anyway, um, so I just did a, a a test on the Lenovo ThinkPad and I ran Geekbench as a as a benchmark. And you know, one thing that I like about Geekbench is when you run a Geekbench on a phone, it'll say it'll give you a score and then it'll say, you know, this OnePlus Nine ran exactly like a Samsung Galaxy S twenty or something like that. So when I did the same thing with the ThinkPad. Um, the uh, the results came back and said, "Hey, this eleventh uh, generation Intel Core i7 ran just like an eleventh generation Intel Core i7," <laughs> and I'm just like, "Thanks." Uh, <laughs> so one thing, maybe I can, maybe I'm, I don't even know if you uh, if this is in your realm of knowledge, but you know, I get a score for Geekbench from a Lenovo laptop, and I get a score from Geekbench from a OnePlus 9 Pro. Are those scores related in any way, or is it like an ARM score versus a X64 score, so they're they're like apples and oranges? Well, when it comes to Geekbench, technically, they are using the same tests on both Android and on iOS and on, on Intel. The problem and you've Windows, got yeah. uh, and Windows, yeah. So the problem yeah. you've got though is that they do actually enable certain optimizations on the Intel's. For example, you've got you know SSE four and AVAX one and all these other stuff that you can get in these in these things, and they do switch on those optimizations. So now you've got the benefit of those extra instructions, that extra hardware that might be able to run something faster. Now that's Real world, that's good because that's what the instructions are there for. They're meant to make right. the programs run faster. But because the other one doesn't have that program, that uh, instruction it's... set, then it's doing it the long way around by running all the instructions through the CPU or the floating point unit. And so it takes longer. So that can skew uh, skew the, the results. So that's okay. a, a, an important thing. But as a kind of a ballpark, you know, mm-hmm. it, is really this processor five times faster than a lap, in a laptop than it is in a smartphone? Yes, it is because of course a laptop is huge. It's got a big battery. It's got a big. It's got fans. You know, a desktop even more, even more so. And yes, so you are getting greater performance. And so it is as a rough, you know, kind of like a measure. Absolutely, you can do that. Now, while I'm saying that, I do also have Speedtest G PC which 
is the you PC. do I do yes I do I do that's awesome and uh, <laughs> I recently did a test between the top of the line MacBook and a MacBook with an M1 and I ran Speedtest GPC to see hmm. uh, the results of that and it categorically proved that the M1 is a blazingly fast uh, chip even compared to an Intel i9 which was in the the other was in the other MacBook so check really? out that video also on yeah. the Gary Explains channel <laughs> Let me let me just jot this down. Link to MacBook speed test. I did not know that. I, I guess I need to uh, get caught up on my Gary explains videos. So that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. So and and so when you are doing a speed test G on a on a, on a PC, is that going to be compare, comparable to a speed test G on a phone? No, or no. is it so? I made different a, different yeah, apples and oranges. Different apples and oranges. I made a, a, a decision that it would be better to test something specifically for for a phone, and so mm -hmm. uh, that that's what I've done. So it, they're they're not compatible, okay. of course. But that was just a decision I made. I could have made the other decision. It's all about how much effort I want to put into these things. That's the bottom line. Right. Effort, maintaining it, running it, and all that kind of thing. Now, while we were talking about the M1 chip, my video today that I've just posted uh, is actually about Qualcomm saying they can make a chip that will be Apple's chips. So we've talked about the M1. Now, of course, the M1 is Apple's processor, the Apple design, but it uses the ARM instruction set. So it's the same instruction set that you find in the iPhones and you also find in Android phones from Qualcomm and mm -hmm. Samsung and so on. It's not an Intel processor. It's not a, an AMD processor. And of course, the M1 has been blazingly fast. As I said, looking at that speed test program I've got, it's really, really fast. And I've got a, a, a Mac M1. and it's, Oh, so, so it's here in front of me. That's what I'm using now. And it's great. It's absolutely uh, wonderful. But... Uh, of course, everyone else wants a slice of that pie. You know, they've set the bar, and it's like, can you beat the the Apple? So um, this year, Qualcomm bought a company called Nuvia. Now, Nuvia okay. was actually started by some ex-Apple engineers who worked on the M1. Oh, dun, dun, all right. Duh. Okay, they started <laughs> their own chip company trying to make chips for servers, for the data center, for the cloud, that kind of thing. So they were not yeah. going to try and tread on Apple's toes. They were going to just try and do something different. And then Qualcomm bought them for $1.4 billion. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. And then what happened is that uh, now Qualcomm has said, we are now going to launch a laptop processor uh, next year that's going to rival Apple's processor because the people who are designing it are the people that designed Apple's processor. So <laughs> we're going to see whether Qualcomm can pull that off or not, or whether uh, Apple are going to dig deep and come up with something even better, the M2, yeah. the M1X, whatever it ends up being get called, and then see whether this is just a kind of a non-starter or whether actually there's a real battle going to go on now between basically Windows 11 on a Snapdragon processor versus Mac OS on an Apple processor. That's the battle that's lining up to see uh, what what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the Qualcomm N1 chip that comes out <laughs> next year. Exactly. I think they should call it. The, I think they should call it the Q1. I think that'd be really funny if they call it the Q1. Oh yeah, and yeah the Q2X or whatever. You know, they want to just mimic Apple's naming all the way through. That would really annoy them. I think. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Um, well, so we have uh, crossed the hour mark here. So now it's time to go ahead and uh, roll out the red carpet for you, Mister Gary. Explains. Go ahead and let uh, everybody know. 
where they can find you as if they didn't already know because, you know, you're kind of a big deal. But, uh, yeah, let everybody know where we can find you on the socials and on the Internet. So, okay, so obviously on YouTube, just type in Gary Explains YouTube and you'll find the channel pretty quickly. Gary At Gary Explains on Twitter. Uh, GaryExplains.com if you want to sign up to the newsletter or find links to other social media like Instagram. And, of course, I'm still writing for Android Authority as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I want to thank uh, the uh, the viewers that we had come on. And and by the way, I should explain to my patrons, I kind of screwed up and made this video public, and I didn't mean to do that, but we did get some good conversation um, from the uh, from the well uh, from the uh, from the subscribers. So I appreciate y'all coming on and uh, chatting with us and asking some great. Uh, questions about Windows 11. Thank you, Gary, for confirming that my MSI laptop can, in <laughs> fact, upgrade to Windows 11. Um, so, uh, and I want to thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, for being the awesome dude that you are. Absolute pleasure, Adam. And uh, let's not wait another year before we do this. We should do this, uh, you know, again soon. It's absolutely great fun. Thank you very much for having me on. Definitely. And we will have you on again before the year is out. So for now, I'm going to go ahead and sign off and say thank you to Gary. Thank you for everybody watching. Thank you for everybody listening. And thank you for giving us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>